Good morning and welcome back to our second Anchored in the Word morning reflection for the week. And uh, the passage we're in is Luke chapter 11. Again, we're reading verses 37 through 54. But today we're still not going to get through the whole passage because we're really focusing in on the first part of this uh, dialogue between Christ and um, the Pharisees and the rabbis and scribes, the people who were at a certain man's home. And this morning, what I'd like us to focus our attention on is the confrontation that we sort of set up yesterday where the, the narrator, Luke, makes a point to emphasize that when Jesus came, he did not wash before he ate. And we need to talk about what that means and maybe why Christ did that. And this is a very important part of what was going on at this man's home. So again, Luke chapter 11, we'll read verses 37 through 40 together. And he spake, and as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now, do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness? Ye fools, did not he that which is without did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? Again, yesterday we focused our attention on that statement that he sat down to meet, and the Pharisee saw it and marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, the narrator is making a point, and the question is why? Why is he making a point that Jesus did not wash? Now, the first thing that would come to our minds as we read this might be a confrontation our mother might have had with us when we were small children. And uh, we were at that stage where we had not developed uh, the disciplines that we should have about personal hygiene. And so one of the things that our mothers would ask us is, did you wash your hands before you came to the, to the dinner table? You were out playing with the dog. You were playing in the backyard in the dirt. Um, you were doing work. Did you wash your hands before you came? And in my house, we were taught how to wash our hands. In fact, we were encouraged to wash from the elbows down, scrub really well, all that kind of stuff. Uh, just good, solid hygiene. Now, is that what Jesus is talking about here? Or this, is this what Jesus was refusing to do? Wash his hands before he ate? And the answer is, well, we don't know until we dig in a little bit more. Well, as I looked at the term that's used, I'm not going to tell you what the term is right away, but there are several different Greek terms that are used in the New Testament to, that are translated in the King James Version, wash. Uh, for instance, in Matthew 27, 24, um, it says that Pilate could not prevail, and so he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Now, the term used in the text translated washed in this verse is different than the term that is used here uh, in Luke chapter 11. And he's describing basically a basin of water and he's washing his hands essentially as a sign to say, um, I'm not guilty of this man's innocent blood. You are because you forced me to do this. A second example is found in Luke chapter 7, verse 44. 
And Jesus goes into the house of Simon. And as he comes into Simon's house, Simon um, does not give him a basin of water to wash his feet. He doesn't ask someone in the household to come and wash Jesus's feet. Basically, Jesus just comes in and he sits down and he was not given the common courtesy that would have been expected if you were opening your home to a person. And so Jesus makes the point to say the following, when a woman from the street came in, was weeping at Jesus's feet and began to wash his feet with her tears and her hair. Jesus says, I entered into thine house and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Again, the term washed here, the Greek term is different than the other two examples. And it's describing someone washing feet in the way that you would if a person was coming into your home in those days. Third example is in John chapter 9, verse 11. And this is the story of a man who was blind and Jesus spat on the dirt. He made uh, uh, clay and put it on this man's eyes and he told him to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam. And so, when Jesus has healed this man through those unusual means, um, the man is confronted by the rabbis. And they say, how is it that you can see when people are saying you were blind from birth? And this is what the man says. A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. Now, this is, again, a different term than the other examples. It has the idea of going and washing one's face. Okay, so what is the term that is used here? <clears throat> oh, let me give you one more example before I, before I forget, because this one is actually really fascinating. And this is what happened in the upper room when Jesus uh, was washing the feet of the disciples. And he comes to Peter and Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. And then Jesus says, if I've not washed your feet, then you have no part. Or he says, if I've not washed you, you have no part with me. And Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus makes the following interesting statement. John 13, 10. He that is washed needeth not to save, but to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, there are two statements, or two words in here um, that are translated wash. One is a different term than the other, and one is describing taking a bath, uh, cleaning your whole body, and the other is describing washing the feet. Now, the point is that in all of those examples, these are ordinary ways that a person would clean themselves when they came into a home or before they ate a meal. Perhaps they will wash their hands, perhaps they will wa wash their feet, perhaps they will wash their face. Perhaps a person would take a bath before they go to visit someone's house. None of those are examples that are the same as the one here. The word that is translated washed in Luke eleven thirty seven is the Greek term baptizo. And this is the word that uh, we transliterate baptize. Now, when we talk about baptism, we're talking about someone who is being immersed in water but that immersion in water is not just uh, to physically wash themselves. In fact, it's really not in any way for the purpose of a physical washing. The purpose of baptism is for a sign that a person has truly understood the gospel 
there's been repentance toward God, faith in Christ, and this washing, this immersion, is actually a religious ceremonial practice where we are demonstrating externally what has taken place internally. And so the concept of Christian baptism is something that would have been built on the understanding in the Jewish context of people using ceremonial washings, where there is a full submersion, immersion, where that was a part of religious practice. Now, obviously, when we talk about New Testament baptism, there, there's a difference because it is clearly defined by Christ and the apostles. But the point is that what Jesus had not done was not he didn't wash his hands or wash his feet or wash his face. What Jesus didn't do was he did not go through a ceremonial cleansing that the religious leaders had created as a part of their rabbinical tradition that was an expectation in that particular context. And so when they look at Christ and they marvel, there's one of two possibilities. Either one, they're marveling and they're saying, how could this man be so crude and so ignorant of the traditions of the elders and be a rabbi. That could be what they're saying. After all, Jesus was raised in Nazareth. He was raised in the household of a person who was a carpenter. And the Jewish people would have looked down at someone from Nazareth working in that kind of a job. And so perhaps there was a condescension in that sense. However, I lean towards the second option. This religious leader, this Pharisee, recognizes that Christ has deliberately rejected the rabbinical tradition, and he has done it to make a point. And as we read through the rest of the text, that seems to be what's going on. And so Christ is deliberately provoking a conversation that needed to take place by rejecting the rabbinical tradition. And so the contention is one that was understood by the Pharisee who invited him into his house. It was understood by the lawyers in verse 45. One of the lawyers said, Master, dost thou reproach us also? The scribes and the Pharisees in verses 53 and 54, they recognize what Jesus is doing. And it says, as he said these things unto them, the scribes and Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. What is the point of all this? Well, the point is this. Christ was deliberately confronting the conversation that need to happen, needed to happen. And I think that there is a great nugget of truth here. One of the things that we have been, uh, we have been taught to believe in our society because we are such a pluralistic society is that Christians should not confront sinful matters. Christians should be silent about these flash pan issues in, uh, in the society. And we should love people by affirming them and ignoring the differences between us. And let's just lay aside all those differences and let's all equally coexist. Well, the simple fact is that that is not the mindset that Christ had. Christ, when this kind of an issue was on the table, he went straight to the point. He defined the problem. He addressed the, the problem. And the people who he was directly addressing understood that he was passionate about what he believed. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that Christians aren't supposed to be pacifists and we're not supposed to shy away from 
the confrontational elements of conversation. I'm not saying we should rush haphazardly or unnecessarily into confrontations, but there are times that the right thing to do is to provoke the conversation, is to speak plainly, clearly, and passionately about what is true and right. And so we see an example of Christ doing that in these verses. And by the way, if Christ would do that there, there are things in our lives that he most certainly would do it if he was sitting right before us. Help, may, may we be a people who recognize the times when we need to step up and speak up and stand firm. And that is one of the things that Christ demonstrates in these verses. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll continue pulling apart little pieces of this text and looking at the nuggets of truth that are there and then seeking to apply them in a biblical manner by the end of the week. Have a blessed morning. Lord willing, we'll meet again tomorrow. Bye now.